0: Hello. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's really nice to have you here today for a conversation with a returning guest. We're speaking today with Sophia Toom. Sophia is a sustainability and travel content creator. She makes her own content focused on slow fashion and imperfect low waste living. And she also creates UGC content. Sophia is really focused on empowering you to travel more sustainably. So today we're talking about what that looks like. We're talking about ecotourism. We're talking about slow travel, conscious consumption while traveling, while planning trips internationally and domestically. And there's a lot of really great take home tips in today's episode. Sophia first joined us for a Chic Shots call-in episode where she spoke about her sustainable wedding. I can go ahead and link that episode in the show notes. Sophia was one of three guests that we had call in and speak a little bit about how they incorporated their environmental values onto their wedding day. Sophia and I have just remained friends, and it was really such a treat to sit down and have this conversation with her about an area that she's really, really passionate about, and that I would love to hear more conversations about in the sustainability space. I don't think we've ever really talked about tourism specifically in depth on this show before. So it was really such a treat for me to learn from her and then also to engage in a really fun conversation. So because Sophia and I do know each other, we were able to laugh, we had some jokes. I think you will really gonna enjoy this because it was really chatty and friendly. And then again, there are those take-home tips. We go through some case studies of brands you may know, of things that you may have heard about in the tourism space that are a little bit controversial. So it was a lot of fun. We talked about Airbnbs, we talked about volunteerism, going somewhere with the expectation that you're volunteering and doing good. So there was a lot of nuanced conversation that we had that was just discussed in this really fun, friendly, lighthearted kind of way. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. It was a real treat for me to record, and I'm sure you're really going to love it. I'm going to link all of Sophia's links in the show notes. She is a content creator on both TikTok and Instagram, and she is a really, really fun person to follow because, of course, she's traveling to some really cool places, but also because she has this knack for delivering information really succinctly really digestibly i really love everything that she puts out and i love the niche that she's filling that she's here to talk with us about today so i hope you enjoyed today's conversation with sophia Toom again if you do enjoy it make sure you share it with a friend make sure you're sharing it on your instagram story sharing it in the family group chat and wherever you're listening today make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode if you're interested in seeing little video clips from our conversation, you can also check it out on social media. All of my social links will be down below at Eco Chic Podcast, wherever you want to find me. With that, let's get into today's conversation about slow travel, conscious tourism, ecotourism with Sophia Toom.
1: Enjoy.
0: So, the first time we talked, you had just gotten married and you were just moving to LA and starting to dabble in yeah. the content creation space. Talk to me a little bit about how you've kind of found your niche in the last year because I love your journey.
1: Oh my goodness. I really can't believe it's already been over a year and what the conversations we were having at that time and how they've totally transformed. I feel like fashion has always been my starting point in sustainability, like getting into sustainable fashion was the gateway into even learning about what sustainability was. But I think Personally, I've been doing a lot of like, I guess, soul searching like within this industry and influencer and just even as a content creator, still always very passionate about fashion. Fashion will be forever my go-to, but I've started dabbling in the travel sphere because I've recently just been very overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that I have. I feel like all influencers and content creators can probably relate in some sort of like how much PR we get and whether it's like unwanted PR PR that doesn't work. And I've just, I've, maybe I'm just not keeping up with my organization. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like I've had just so much stuff and it was really making me rethink, like, how do I want to continue sustainably talking about brands, talking about products, but also something that feels authentic to me? And if I am feeling overwhelmed by the amount of stuff, how can I balance that out And something that's always made me really happy is exploring, being out in nature, seeing the world. And I realized that with tourism being an industry that I feel like is not touched on a lot in sustainability, I feel like it's kind of like an unknown, like people know, oh, it's bad to fly. Like Don't do that. if You're an environmentalist. Like, don't agree with that, first of all. But um, I thought there was an opportunity to discuss how can we be sustainable travelers? How can we travel for good, have a low impact. And of course, like we all want to see things. We all love to travel. We all deserve a good vacation, but it's more about talking about the ways that we can explore the world and leave as little of an impact as possible, not only on planet, but the communities that we visit. So, you know, being respectful of that as well. So I feel like traveling is kind of where my heart is going because I feel like being out in nature is what has also connected me to sustainability more and like caring about our planet. And I think Being out in nature helps you connect with that aspect of sustainability. But yeah, I feel like that's the consumption is kind of what has driven me away almost from like products and goods and more into this travel sphere. I love that. I think that's a really,
0: really good way to set the scene because you're totally right. I never hear about sustainable tourism because very often you're told like if you're an environmentalist, you just can't fly. You just can't do X, Y, and Z. And then there's backlash of like, oh, you travel so much or you do all these things and you live in this kind of like weird space of fear of am I compromising my values if I'm also indulging, quote unquote, in doing this activity. So I think it's a really interesting space because it's also the way that you're describing it. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds more like conscious tourism Mm -hmm. rather than what I've historically seen branded as Mm ecotourism. I feel like there's something about ecotourism that is a little bit kitschy. You think of a boutique hotel or you think of the sanctuary tours of an elephant sanctuary in Thailand, right? Something like that. That's what I think of when I think of ecotourism. And that's not really what you're describing. Mm -hmm. There's something a little bit more mindful about it and more conscious,
1: not necessarily slow, but just thoughtful travel. Yes. 100% agree with you. And I think we can take, when we think about sustainability, I think everyone's mind goes to, oh, environmental impact, earth, green, caring about our planet. (laughs) And the same thing with ecotourism. I think a lot of the times we think ecotourism and it goes straight to, oh, being out in nature and how can we explore places in nature and even leave it low impact, whatever. But I think just as sustainability is not just environmental responsibility, it's also social and economic responsibility, like the three pillars that build up sustainability. Same thing in ecotourism. It also has social and economic Responsibility tied into that. So, not only is it like spending time out in nature and, you know, seeing the world and choosing those over other excursions, but it's also about how can we leave a positive impact not only on the community, but also more importantly, like educating ourselves before we're going and visiting somewhere new. Like, how can I educate myself so that I am not a tourist, but a conscious traveler? And I think I like to make the distinguish between a tourist and a traveler because I think tourism is so rooted in consumption and as an example these large inclusive hotels which I've been to one so I'm no shame at all but I think with those large-scale hotels it's very how can I appeal to the tourist like what type of cuisine can I bring to them like I was in Italy last summer and it was just so funny like walking around and like seeing like all these hamburger joints, like funny, like trying to appeal to like the American quote unquote diet. And I feel like that was such an interesting aspect to me. Of course, tourism can support those local economies. And there's such a basis in that as well. But it's also so funny thinking about how like it's, how are we being appealed to? Like what about tourism is making it more comfortable for us to travel versus us educating about How can I be someone who is interested in this culture, interested in taking time to learn some basic words in their language, like making sure that I'm doing the correct um, education on my behalf of seeing what type of clothing I should be wearing that's most respectful and just things like that. So those are all parts of ecotourism. Yeah, I agree with you that ecotourism is one of those kind of like cliche like. Green. It's a word that has been like
0: falsely defined yes, by a lot of us. Totally. That's so interesting. So, I want to start from the top. How do you start planning a trip in which you aim to be a conscious traveler? So, let's talk a little bit about like picking a location very broadly, geographically, yeah. and then even just zooming in to things like choosing a hotel. Where are
1: you going to be spending most of your time when you're there? Yeah, great questions. I think for the most part, the destination of where I'm going. I don't necessarily start with, like with that, more of like the planning process within. So depending on where you go, I think there are certain things that you should look for and educate yourself on before visiting a certain country. For example, I think a lot of tourism in Hawaii right now, that is a huge hot topic. And I think you have to be really mindful about places that are overrun by tourism and doing the best thing you can to educate yourself on that. And I'd love to visit Hawaii when I've never been to Hawaii and I would love to go there one day, but I've started to take steps of like following different creators on TikTok and Instagram who are locals, who are natives who are educating about how to be a responsible traveler there. And I think that's an interesting part. So aside from like the destination aspect, I feel like for me, there's just so many places that I want to see. So when I am planning travels, it's how can I be a conscious traveler searching for destinations while I'm in that country. So back to hotels and those destinations, such an important topic within just like the hospitality industry and hotels and Airbnbs, all the craziness. But with hotels, I've started recently looking into sustainable hotels and just like any brand, when you're vetting a brand online, whether it's fashion or beauty, and you're looking at Oh, like what are they talking about in sustainability? Same thing for hotels. They usually have a sustainability page and they'll really go into environmental, social and economic responsibility or different ways thereof. So a really good example is the one hotels. Here's one in West Hollywood and there's some in New York. And that is almost like the gold star of sustainable hotels because they really check all the boxes of give back and social equity and really caring for the planet in so many different categories from responsible materials to water and energy conservation, all those things. But not all hotels are going to have those standards. So I think it's important when you're looking at hotels, thinking about the overall arch of like wellness and mindfulness, like we talk about, like this consciousness, this mindfulness I stayed in an eco-friendly bed and breakfast in Mexico City this last January, and I found them online. I just was searching up like sustainable hotels in Mexico City, and this bed and breakfast was a restored mansion from the 1800s, and they use gray water systems, use solar panels, and it's just like eight little rooms, and it's all just... Built up, very community style, like there's eight private rooms, but you have breakfast together and the breakfast, all the ingredients are locally sourced within the community, which was super important. And I just felt that experience to me gave myself so much like joy. And not only I felt like really proud about like staying at a place where I was like, wow, this place is actually doing its due diligence to be mindful of people on the planet. But I also made so many friends there, like made some friends who were visiting from Melbourne and we were able to go out. So I loved like there was like that community aspect of it as well.
0: I love that. Yeah. Wait, I'm obsessed with the idea also of like a community style breakfast at a bed and breakfast. Amazing. That is right? so cool. And I almost feel like I shouldn't be so shocked. Like I shouldn't think that it's so cool and like a foreign idea to me because that should be the standard. It should be. Being able to travel somewhere and truly connect with the people that you're traveling with. And there is also this disconnect, like you were talking about, a lot of locations that may be catering to tourists a little bit more than perhaps we expect them to be. It's similar to hotels when you think about staying at a global chain hotel. What is the experience that you are getting by staying there? So perhaps you are having activities during the day that are supportive of that more conscious travel. But you could really go all out and look for a local place and really support that local economy and get that feel for local cuisine or, again, connecting with other travelers. And I feel like there's this really beautiful interconnection that can happen. When you're traveling in that way.
1: Yes. I think community is a, such an amazing part of travel. If you know, you're open to it and just being willing to have those experiences, because I feel like community is, is such a connector. I feel like also within the sustainability movement, like community and people, like we are all like so connected. And I feel like being able to share those with others makes travel so much more fun and enjoyable. And then even better when you're able to connect on similar grounds of like, oh, like we're, you know, able to do this amazing experience like outdoors and appreciate nature and stuff like that. So I'm definitely have some on my bucket list for the next few months and years to come about like just ways that I can even take my travels to the next level of being more connected with nature and really seeing the world um, for the beauty that it is. So Love that. Yeah. regardless of where you're staying, anytime
0: you are on a vacation or on a trip, You're going to be filling your days with something. So let's talk a little bit about these conscious travel activities. I feel like it could be really easy to get a little duped into an ecotourism type activity. So I'd love to talk about how you recommend vetting local activities or local events that you're going to be joining on your trip. How do you go about that in a conscious way?
1: Yeah, great question. A few things. I feel like when we talk about ecotourism, the biggest thing that we've even talked about is like spending time outdoors in natural areas is such a great way to connect with nature, see the country, see the beauty behind it. But I think something that's also really important is like when you're taking part in experiences, I always try and find experiences that are hosted by locals rather than large tourist companies. And I've done the big bus tours before, like I'm I'm was in Ireland one point and I was in the st patty bus green bus like going around ireland like it was a it was such a cheese fest but it was fun (laughs) like double decker new york experience no (laughs) literally but green like literally but green and it was so fun like i was just fresh out of college me and my best friend we were planning this trip and we had never done this before it was like time and place yeah exactly
0: quick break to talk about caraway cookware You've heard me talk about Caraway before, and if you are someone who likes cooking, who wants to cook more, who's trying to cook more at home, you're getting into healthier eating, you need to start thinking about the tools that you have in your kitchen. You want your cookware to be good for you. You want it to be easy to store, easy to clean, non-toxic, and long-lasting. Caraway really does check all the boxes. Caraway products are made without any toxic materials like PFAs, PTFEs, PFOAs, or any other hard to pronounce chemicals. That means no Teflon, no lead, cadmium, anything like that. They're really high quality, they're ceramic coated. And that ceramic coating means that Caraway is naturally slick. So you need really minimal oil or butter, I always give the example of slide-off-the-pan eggs. Like, if you are making an over-medium or sunny-side-up egg, you really just need to give the pan a little shake, and those eggs are coming right out. You do not need any butter, any oil. The other week, it was my turn to host book club, and I like to make dinner when it's my turn to host book club. So I used my caraway pans to make different kinds of ground meats and ground vegan meats, for a taco night, and I did not need any oil or any sort of other products to make sure that everything was cooked to perfection, nothing got stuck to the pan. And again, the very best part is that it's super easy to clean because everything is so slick naturally. The kitchenware from Caraway comes in really chic shades. Mine are in a cream color. And the sets are really thoughtfully designed. They come with this really great storage system. So it's easy, easy, easy to stay organized in the kitchen. If you have been thinking about Caraway, I'm telling you, this is the time to look into it. Visit CarawayHome.com eco to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit CarawayHome.com eco or use code eco at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. It'll be in the show notes.
1: But now I really recognize that you honestly are going to find the best quality of experiences and the most authentic experiences by those who live there. Like the local food tours, local food markets, local experiences, hidden waterfalls, things like that. And um, I know... I think Airbnb, we can maybe dive into the pros and cons of that because I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, is Airbnb ethical, you know, experiences versus renting aside. But I think especially when it comes to... Something that I haven't done that I've heard a lot about is, like, the elephant sanctuaries, I believe, like, in Thailand. And I've never done that before, so I don't have personal experience with that. But I know there are a lot of ethical concerns. So something that I would do to be proactive about that is, like, really diving deep into the organization that's hosting that. And, you know, is it in it for the right reasons? You know what I mean? How are you able to interact with these amazing creatures in an ethical way that's not harming them or hurting them? Or, you know, you're not benefiting off those needs, if that makes sense. So I think there are ways to really dive into making sure your vetting process is really close to understanding how is this actually giving back to the community versus how is this just like obtaining to my personal needs or wants for like the Instagram photo, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And I feel like there's also a financial
0: question here, Mm -hmm. right? It's where you're choosing to spend your dollars, whether it is the activities or where you're staying or even the restaurants that you're choosing to eat at. How are your dollars really impacting the place that you're going to visit? Yeah. I think that's a really interesting angle to it because very often people will argue like, oh, it's just so much more expensive to like do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. But if you are planning on spending X amount of dollars on your vacation, who are those dollars going to? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's this really interesting kind of like deeper dive that you need to think about when it comes to conscious consumption. Like you were talking about stuff at the top of our conversation. What are the brands that you're choosing to support more broadly? Like what are the individuals that you're choosing to support when you're going on these vacations?
1: Especially because tourism has such an impact on local communities and natural resources around them, like just thinking about waste. I don't think it's talked about in the sense of like, oh, how wasteful or like the consumption of it. When you really break down and think about when you're traveling, even from an individual impact of like, oh, what am I bringing on my trip to like, what are the organizations that I'm choosing to support? Just like when you're looking at sustainable brands or choosing that, there's also those things to take into consideration because sustainability, of course, appeals to every single industry on this planet. (laughs) Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
0: I'm going to ask you a controversial question. I want to talk about volunteerism. This idea that you can go to a place and participate in some sort of home building for four or five days. Or you're going to some sort of animal sanctuary and Mm. volunteering for three days. Or I think the worst offenders, if I may say, on my own behalf. I think the worst offenders are, like, the college students who go to do, like, medical work or dental work in another country when they're unlicensed and untrained. Yeah. 19 years old. But there's this component of voluntourism that's inherently saviorism, right? It's Mm, like going mm -hmm. somewhere because you want to do good on your vacation or you want a photo of you helping a community that's quote unquote less fortunate, whatever it may be. So I want to talk a little bit about voluntourism because I feel like there must be a way for it to be ethical. But in my very layperson perspective, I just do not see it at all.
1: Yeah. What a great question. Let's let's, let's just dive in. Let's just get into it. Okay. So (laughs) I think and this is coming from someone who I've definitely done that before. So like I have done those types of trips. I've been involved in that and I've definitely had to read about it and understand like, you know, doing that in my high school early college days now really thinking about okay, what is the impact of that? You know what I mean? So a couple things. I think volunteerism for the most part has good intentions. You know, you're going down, you want to help and you know, we talk, you know, you talk about that saviorist complex. And I think that definitely has something to do with it, but I actually saw a TikTok and I want, his name was, his name is Benji. I forgot his handle, but I was watching his video and he put it in a very interesting point and he said that volunteerism is harmful when the benefits of the volunteer outweigh the benefits of the actual community that you're helping. So thinking about, Oh, like this, this feels so good for me. To go down and help with this versus am I actually having a long-term lasting impact on this community, on this family, on these people? You do have to think about short-term impact versus long-term impact. Short-term impact, an example is like, okay, you build a house in five hours. <laughs> is that going to be a long-lasting supported house that is going to be like the best constructed? And thinking about are there people in that community who could have been hired to build that house instead? You have to you have to think about, am I taking away from stimulating their local economy? You know what I mean? You come in for five hours and construct this house. Of course, great intentions. Now you're potentially living in a family with four walls, and that is a beautiful thing. But you do have to think about, could this have been done in a more sustainable, ethical way where I'm actually helping... Are there jobs available for people in that community? And I think if we even back up as a a side example, I'm going to talk about Tom's and their previous give back program. So I feel like a long time ago, they had the you buy one shoe, they donate one shoe. And I feel like there was some controversy around that because of, oh my goodness, great intentions, like donating shoes to people who may need shoes like that is so great. But now you have how many thousands, if not? over a million shoes being donated. And I heard someone talk about, okay, think about all these shoes that are getting donated to a town or a village and think about what about local cobblers there who that was their whole job was to repair shoes. And now maybe these cobblers are out of a job because now there's just an influx of shoes. And it even is creating a dependency that maybe wasn't there as first as part of the savior complex of like, for helping, for like giving you these shoes, but maybe they don't really need all those shoes. And I feel like the same thing if you, you know, tying back to my roots in like fashion is like you donate so many clothes, like, oh, I'm I'm donating. This is going to be so great. People are going to wear these. But at some point there's too much. And it's actually like sometimes I feel like too many donations can do more harm than good, even if it was in a good intentional place. The mass amount of it is what is not sustainable. So, I think bringing it back to volunteerism, I think that is something that is very important to talk about. And I think there are ways to do it sustainably and ethically. And I recently discovered um, World Packers. Have you heard of World Packers no, before? Um, they are a program where you can. Sign up and become a member and this, this is not sponsored and <laughs> um, you sign up and become a member and you can apply to different like volunteer slash homestay opportunities. So, for example, if you wanted to go to Thailand, you could apply maybe some family is offering their home, and you get like free meals and a free stay, but you help with yard work or like dog sitting for a week. The hosts are the ones who approve you, so you have to get approved by these local hosts, and you're able to do anything from gardening and handiwork to social media at a hostel. So I think those are some ways where it's hosted by someone who is like maybe just wanting to outsource some work, but I I totally think there are two sides of it, because it's like, oh, well, what about people who are already in that area who could have been using that work. So it's definitely, there's, I think there are some pros and cons. I think for the most part, there's good intentions behind it, but you really do have to think about, am I serving this for the right reasons? And if, am I able to leave a better impact that's going to have long lasting effects versus just like short-term gratification of, I built this house in five hours and I'm so glad I helped. Even if maybe, you know, is that house going to Stand a storm. You know what I mean? We're A bunch yes. of 19 year olds not really have a background in building houses. Yeah, so. absolutely. The Habitat for
0: Humanity spring break trip to yeah. wherever it is. And it's really like, you know, I don't know anything about Habitat for Humanity trips, so I never took one, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I think the example of homestays is really interesting because that reminds me also a lot of WOOFing. WOOF is this global organization that is for farmers primarily. So mm. farmers will offer homestays and it's usually like three months at a time, up to a year sometimes, and you go and work on the farm. Oh. And it's a really interesting way to learn about agriculture. I was always mm-hmm. really interested in it, uh, and I just never took the plunge and did it, but I was always really fascinated with like the vast, vast variety of options where you could go somewhere and like truly learn about yeah. the land of a place of living there and working the land. And I thought it was just such a fascinating way to learn about really – deep diving experiential learning on agriculture or whatever else it may be that you're wolfing for. So I think that's a really good example. And then something that you touched upon, which is kind of like the perfect opposite is the Airbnb controversy. I feel like there's so much discussion about Airbnb online these days. Oh yeah. And I am personally someone who has moved away from using Airbnb for selfish reasons. I hate the cleanup of an Airbnb. Like you're well, they going want you to like mow the lawn. They want you to mow the lawn. So they I'm want like, you what? to do all the dishes. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just too much. Just the strings Side that come a. with staying at an Airbnb are yeah. beyond. Yeah, absolutely beyond. But then there's also this huge real estate component to it, where mm-hmm. individuals or companies are going into a community and buying homes that they're renting out for Airbnb. Yeah, and it's driving up home costs, and people can no longer live in the communities that they grew up in, and they can't yeah. afford to live there. And a lot of these homes are short-term tenants that really are not coming to respect that community or, um, you know, I'm thinking about bachelorette infrastructure. I feel like when you go to a city that has a lot of bachelorette infrastructure, I could talk about this all day like the Nashvilles of the world, Scottsdale, Arizona, like the bachelorette infrastructure of that city is not because these groups of girls are coming to like deeply appreciate everything that Nashville has to offer. Mm -hmm. It's, they're going to make a mess for four days and they're going home. Yeah. And when you think about Airbnb, even in that more casual traveler context, it is folks that are going in and looking for a place to stay and that particular home is inherently problematic because of what it means for the local community, for the people that are already living there. So just a lot of fuzziness where you think that you're Mm -hmm. doing a good thing because you're staying locally, Mm -hmm. but you have to think about who's actually owning that home and who's maintaining that home and all of those kind of like caveats
1: of staying somewhere. 100%. I feel like this can touch on a little bit what you were saying is like the downfalls of like digital nomading too. I feel like people are talking about that now of like why digital nomads are not obviously in ideal. It's like, Oh my goodness, digital nomad, like live from anywhere. But it's the same, the same thing's happening as like buying up homes and driving up the costs. So two things to touch, to touch on this topic, because it's definitely very important to think about. And the cons of Airbnb aside these days, because I agree it's a little, um, it's a little much. It's a little much for me. I'm like, I didn't pay to, like, clean your entire house. Like, okay. <laughs> You're doing the laundry. You're feeding yeah. the dog. You're... Yeah. I'm like, what else? <laughs> I guess where's my checklist? Whatever. I could complain about Airbnb all day. Oh, Trust me. It's just gotten so much. <laughs> I feel like hotels are making a resurgence here. Like, hotels bring are... Bring back don't... hotels. Yeah, bring back hotels, for real. But, um... So, I was in Mexico with my husband. This guy was taking us around to some local cenotes, and we were... Swimming in them and stuff like that. And he was telling us about how during COVID, um, a lot of the houses were bought up by folks here in America. And now, in all these houses, you know, they go for way cheaper than they would here in the States and all these beachside properties. And it has totally, totally disrupted their entire housing market in that area. And it's because there's no more affordable housing for locals to buy up because they're all purchased. And there is like a, there is a thing in Mexico where you don't actually legally own, like it's like a hundred years. you like technically lease the land for a hundred years. Like you don't actually ever, you don't own that in perpetuity. I I believe like there's like, there's a a law in the government. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you can't like forever own land in Mexico. But yeah. So now all these houses are getting bought up, but then he was also talking about how these communities during COVID, especially like, these communities were so heavily reliant on tourism to stimulate their economy that so many people were like out of jobs because their job was working in the tourism space. So again, it is a tricky thing. You have to kind of weigh like, okay, these people, their job was, you know, in tourism and now with the lack of it, where does their income come from versus like, oh, no, all these people are coming in and purchasing all these homes. And now it's driving up the cost for everyone else, which definitely is not fair and needs to be talked about. So in the terms of Airbnb, similar things. I think if you go on Airbnb, it's pretty easy to tell if it's locally hosted or if it's a management company. I mean, I've looked at Airbnbs like in Miami per se, and every single Airbnb is just some management company that's like bought up the entire building. And it's like, okay, that's where there's a little, like, like you said, fuzziness of, okay, this business is purposely purchased all this land, all this property, and is just turning it to make quick profits from renters or short-term rentals with Airbnb versus allowing people, you know, our age to, you know, afford a home. Like we all maybe want to do, but it's like impossible because even like, even in Scottsdale, Arizona, like I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and there, all these houses are just getting bought up, like you said, with Airbnbs. And it's like, what about me? What about me? Who I, I want to own a home. But it really is tough when you just – they're all getting grabbed up. But I will say I have definitely stayed in my fair share of Airbnbs. I was in Italy last summer, and we only stayed in Airbnbs. And one of my favorite Airbnbs was in Tuscany. And um, it was this guest house in this literal hamlet, like I, didn't, I, I literally thought hamlet was a word that just in, existed in folklore, <laughs> like a hamlet. But it's, it was this little hamlet just in the middle of the countryside. And it was this guest house. And it was on the property of her and her family home. We like arrived at night and her parents were there. And they were like having a family dinner. And like they greeted us with their dogs. And it was just, you could tell like that was just it. like, yeah, you could just tell that she's running her business and this is her income. And so like you said, I think there are some pros and cons to it. Because of course, Airbnb, the essence of Airbnb is to have people come and stay in a home and explore the area. It's very like travel in mind. So I think it really is about making sure that you're supporting the right people and doing your best. Like if you do choose Airbnb, like management companies are probably not as good as, you know, the hosts, but I feel like these days a hotel is going to You're going to get better service most of the time at a hotel and you're not going to have to uh, mow the lawn. So, I
0: mean, I think perhaps this is very similar to the example we gave earlier where the intent is good, but it's about following through and really vetting whoever it is that you're spending your money with. Yeah. Last question for you. I would really, really love to know because now I just want to talk about this all day. (laughs) What's on your travel bucket list? Oh, my gosh. Um. What's not on my bucket list? Give me like an international, (laughs) okay, a domestic, if you have one. Okay. And one that's like really, really far off. I have no plans to ever do this, but like this would be
1: great one day. Okay. Well, I will give a little sneak peek that I am doing this summer. Not going to give the full itinerary, but I will give a little sneak peek. But my husband and I are actually renting a van for 10 days and road tripping around Iceland for 10 days. Never done van life before. Ever. I love it. But we're going to do that for 10 days. And I'm very excited because it's just going to be a lot of rough in it. In the back of a van, my husband's 6'5". I don't know how we're going to fit in there, but we're going to do it because it's so expensive there. Sleeping in a van is literally cheaper than staying at hostels even. So I'm excited to embark on that and explore van life because it's something even like my partner and I, we've talked about of like, oh, what a fun way to explore and see more of like, even like where you live, the country. So I feel like I'm excited to do more of those types of trips, but I've never been to Asia. Japan, as everyone's in Japan right now, because they just opened their borders, that's definitely high up on my list. Um, And I also really want to go to Seoul in South Korea. I I just hear the food there is so good. And I feel like going to Asia, there's a lot of opportunity to learn because I think when I've been to Europe, a few times. And Europe, of course, is very westernized. And I think it's very familiar in a sense to here in the States. And I think traveling to Asia, I'm really looking forward to kind of breaking down like the normalcy of Western vacations and thinking about like doing more doing more research of like, wow, like I'm going to try and learn like like learn some of the language, or just like keywords, and like just got to do my research on like what's appropriate to wear, or like what is local local cuisine, or how can I? So I'm excited to do that um, in the future. But here in the states, I definitely want to um, see more of the national parks. I've actually never even been to Yosemite. That's definitely on my list. So that's here in California. Got to do it. I know. So I feel like exploring more of the national parks, because um, like, there's just beauty even here in our own country in here in America and I feel like even just like a tip to anyone who's out there who wants to travel more and explore like even just finding places that's an hour away from you like it is there's beauty really all around us and whether it's like a day trip a couple hours north or south or wherever it is um you can find nature and beauty anywhere if you have the right mindset for it so yeah love it
0: love it well I will give you all of my national park tips because I am nothing if not a fan of the national park system Seriously. I mean, it's, of course, as an institute, it is deeply problematic. But visiting a national park, I think, is something that a lot of people don't think of when it comes to a vacation. So I'm glad that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah. Glacier National Park is the most beautiful place I've ever been in my entire life. Montana, like chef's kiss, like that is just such a serene place I'm,
0: tr- I'm trying to go to glacier like as a oh. as possible
1: because i mean we might not have a lot of glaciers left in a few years i know So i'm trying to i gotta you, squeeze it you gotta see soon. one glacier i know i'm like gonna go see that's the how, glacier that's how i feel about venice italy i'm like it's sinking like i have to see yeah. it
0: yeah there's an urgency
1: there's there a, <laughs> in the travel <laughs> everyone go to venice uh, pause <laughs> <laughs> awesome. well thank you so oh much gosh. sophia thank you this so much so this was such a great conversation and i feel yeah. like I'm so excited to chat with you again Hi. and be back and do it in person Thank so you. super exciting Come back
0: anytime. i hope you enjoyed today's conversation with sophia toom again i will have all of her links in the show notes as well as the links to this show where you can find the podcast online so you can view the clips of this episode so you can share it with a friend make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening etc cetera, etc cetera. you know the drill Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you learned something. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I want to say thank you so much for tuning into the show and making conversations like this possible. It's really such a treat, especially to be able to sit down in person and record with someone and have such open dialogue, and I look forward to continue to putting out episodes that are just as fun and chatty and a little bit gossipy, a little bit controversial, but always really value-driven. So thank you so, so much for tuning in today, and I will see you next week. Bye.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.